Are you a woman who seems completely put together but doesn't actually feel that way? Meet Emily and Stassi, two Columbia-trained psychotherapists and self-identified people-pleasers in recovery who are reviewing their favorite books, self-help tips, and discussing their experiences of being and counseling women in the world. You'll gain a new perspective about how you're functioning and get practical steps to get out of your comfort zone to cultivate the life you really want to be living. Welcome, Cassie, to the podcast, Emotionally Unfuck. We're so excited to have you. Ah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> this is like such a special treat, obviously, for me, because I worked with you in the past. And as Stassi told you before we like started this recording, I've been talking about you ever since. I just think you have so many gifts that have totally changed my perspective on like mental health and healing and spirituality among many other things. So thank you for joining us today and we're excited to get into it. So I'm just going to go ahead and read your bio to give our listeners a sense of who you are. And then we'll get into some questions that we have for you. Fantastic. So Cassie Underwood is the fastitious, versive spiritual teacher and founder behind the practice and the Maverick Woman and Harvard's first ever sequence clad former meditation advisor. She is also an internationally renowned speaker, the author of the memoir, May Cause Love, Harper One, and host of the podcast, Big Energy with Cassie Underwood. 15 years ago, when Cassie was newly sober, severely anxious and depressed, a one minute morning practice became her gateway drug to peace of mind and even trippier experiences of higher consciousness. This gateway, now sanctified as the morning practice, eventually led her to attend Harvard Divinity School, where she left a lasting legacy as the inaugural meditation advisor at Harvard Innovation Labs, guiding the community in fear-releasing meditations and dance moves to Prince. It was there that Cassie developed her next step in bringing people to a spiritual higher ground. The practice, her signature method to transform anxiety and relationship friction into a life of high energy, self-expression, and love. Since then, Cassie has traveled around the world to share her modern, irreverent twists on ancient spiritual wisdom, providing actionable tools and applying metaphysics to support our full self-expression in all aspects of our lives, from sex to money to activism. Iconic spiritual leader and presidential candidate Marianne Williamson calls her a paver of the new of the way for a new generation. In 2017, Cassie penned her first memoir, May Cause Love, Harper One, a fiercely honest and surprisingly funny testament to spiritual healing after abortion, offering an important voice for reproductive advocacy that has been amplified by NPR, MSNBC, Women's Health, The New York Times, and more. Cassie is currently host of the podcast, Big Energy with Cassie Underwood, where she shares candid stories and insights about her metaphysical approach to life and interviews leading disruptors about the energetics of everything. In addition to working with private clients, Cassie offers group hands-on guidance in her virtual program, The Maverick Woman, Six Months to Financial, Emotional, and Sexual Freedom. Cassie believes the point of spirituality is to be free. Her mission is to equip people with spirit, practical spiritual tools to make peace with themselves, make more money, and save humanity. To connect with Cassie, find her on Instagram at Cassie Underwood. You can also download her morning practice for free at CassieUnderwood.com. That's K-A-S-S-I and Underwood like Carrie. Love it. <laughs> that is helpful, like Carrie. <laughs> I get called Carrie like a couple times a week. <laughs> I get called Cassie like every day. Uh, you do? Yeah, my sister's Casey and I'm Stassi. And that's what like this, we they blended it together. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. <laughs> Never heard that before. Yep. Oh. So I just I respond to anything, but Cassie is like the number one. I'm like, yep, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. I know I'm used to Casey and Kathy, but then when Carrie Underwood came around, I also started answering to Carrie. <laughs> You just your ears perk up. You got to be ready. For yep, it. Must be for me. <laughs> oh my god! So, this is quite a resume, and I say that to everyone, but it's always so impressive. Your journey to where you're at today. Can you tell us a little bit about May Cause Love? So today is actually the birthday of May Cause Love. Oh. It came out in yes. 
So happy birthday to my little book. It came out in 2017. So it's its sixth birthday today. So Make Cause Love is a book about my experience with abortion when I was 19 years old. And I grew up in Kentucky where I, in my personal family, I just didn't hear a lot about abortion at all. We didn't really talk about sex. We didn't talk about anything that would be controversial, controversial, body focused, anything like that. I was told to be ladylike. And then around me, I saw anti-abortion billboards. I had some cousins who had been arrested for blocking the doors to an abortion clinic in Kentucky and a lot of, you know, very religious cousins, but in my family, it was nice. It just wasn't really discussed. I, for myself was, I I felt like I was quote unquote pro-life for myself, but pro-choice for everyone else. Like who am I to say what somebody else should decide to do, but I would never do it. And then when I got pregnant, the first person I wanted to talk to was the only person in the world I knew who'd had an abortion. So that was very telling for me about what I wanted to do. It really, I surprised myself. And then after I had my abortion, I felt like I was shot out of a cannon, like as a feminist. And I couldn't believe that there was a big controversy about this thing. And, and I went on for a couple of years, just kind of spreading the good news of first trimester pregnancy termination. And then I ended up three years later, my ex-boyfriend had a baby with somebody else and named her the same name that we had talked about when I briefly considered keeping the pregnancy. And this really threw a lot into question for me because his life was the same. He was, in fact, it had only gotten worse. He was a heroin addict. He was in and out of jail and rehab. I was an alcoholic who had gotten sober and he was deciding to have a baby with somebody that when he was in a worse position, but he said, told me that he wasn't ready to be a father when we were pregnant. Uh, so this threw a lot into question for me. And I started really wondering, like, I'm feeling these emotions, but I don't feel like I'm allowed to have them because I'm a feminist and I'm not supposed to feel grief over my abortion. And I'm also really, you know, pro-reproductive justice, pro-reproductive freedom and choice. And I wouldn't want to say anything that would compromise that. But to say that I grieved my abortion would imply something that could would imply a message that would feed into the anti-choice movement. So I felt really trapped in my in my emotions. I tra- I felt trapped in the experience. I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And I got to Columbia for graduate school. Yeah, after my abortion, I was like, I have to make it worthwhile. So I was trying to do a lot of ac- accomplish a lot in my life. So get the graduate degree from an Ivy League program, go pursue my dreams, make it worthwhile. Meanwhile, I never felt like it was worthwhile because if I'm doing it from the place of I have to make it worthwhile, there's nothing I can do to make it worthwhile because I'm already coming from the place of it's nothing it is making it worthwhile. So I got to Columbia and I randomly took a class in Buddhism And I found out in that class, I was there for writing, but I took this Buddhism class about a ritual for abortion and in in Buddhism. And I was like, oh my God, like, of course there should be a ritual for for after abortion. Mm -hmm. So, and then I was like, well, I wonder what other religions and cultures have rituals and ceremonies for after abortion. And it turned out quite a few. So I went on this journey over the next three years, talking to anyone who said that they had something for people after abortion, which included going into a Catholic retreat, which was very anti-choice and very suffocating for me, and doing a Jewish ritual that was incredible and like life-changing, talking to a midwife for the soul, and talking to a Planned Parenthood grief counselor. And so the, the book covers that journey. And really my resolution of the experience and coming into being, feeling all of my emotions and being my true self. I've had full body goosebumps this entire time you've been talking. It's such Uh a beautiful thing. And in my experience as a human being, there is a imposed way we're supposed to react and feel and that we all try to like skirt that line and stay within like the 
rigid expectations and that as a mental health therapist we anything pops up and like we just have to ride the wave and experience experience it and the most painful thing is trying to get us back in between those rigid lines because we're not supposed to feel that whatever that that feeling could be yeah totally years later I was in after I'd completed the journey and the book I think the book was had come out yeah had I was in a therapy session in a couple therapy session actually and the therapist asked me what did I learn on my journey and I learned self self-acceptance which sounds so simple, but it actually was life changing to be like, oh, I feel this thing. And, and I also feel this other thing at the same time. And it's totally okay to feel two or three emotions that seem to conflict at the exact same time, even if they don't resonate with my political leanings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Your book like really taps into, I would say some of the limitations of just culture at large and how we talk about emotions in general, like how they can be so dynamic and multifaceted. Like we can feel, you know, two completely opposing emotions at the same time and they can be true at the same time and held. Like we do a really, we really struggle with that, I think as a society. And your book also really talks about how we struggle with grief, right? As a society, like we don't, we don't like to have a relationship with grief. We don't have enough rituals around grief, which is something I really got from your book. And in as a therapist working with people grieving, you know, all kinds of relationships and life circumstances. It's something I constantly think back to, to you and and your journey. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, about our culture being so grief phobic and how that impacts people. Yeah. Well, you're right. We live in a grief phobic culture and because of that, we're not supposed to grieve, or if we do, we're supposed to grieve within a certain time frame. And then after that time frame, it needs to be diagnosed as complicated. And and it's just your people want you to get over your grief really quickly. Why? Because if you're grieving in front of them, it's going to remind them that they have ungrieved grief. So they want to stop you from grieving in their presence. I learned a lot about this from Avatore Bueno who wrote the book Peace After Abortion. Um, and, you know, I thought I was going on this journey just to do healing and transformation around my abortion. And it turned out to be just life tools for how to actually live in the world as an emotion, as a human being with emotions. The grief piece, you know, the, the big myth about grief is that it's never going to end. And I was really scared to even like dip my toe into it. I was like, I felt like I was constantly trying to hold back the ocean with Mm -hmm. this grief that I had every day around this experience. And it wasn't just the grief of losing, you know, of a, of a pregnancy loss. It was the grief of a dream of how my first pregnancy was supposed to go. I'd always wanted to be a mom. And Mm -hmm. suddenly that I felt like that experience of, oh my God, I'm pregnant was like robbed from me. Because it was like, oh my God, this is my worst nightmare, you know, and it was supposed to be my biggest dream. And there were so many, you know, how how you imagine your partner will react in that moment, how you imagine your mother will react. And it was this devastating experience for everyone rather than this uplifting experience. And so every day I walked around with, you know, like I said, holding back the ocean and the paradox is if I just let myself grieve it's going to be a, actually, it'll be really painful for like 10 minutes and then you've, you're done and for that day and you can just move on. But it was the resistance that was actually causing so much exhaustion. You know, at first I dealt with it by drinking a lot and just trying to numb it out and like blackout and just not feel it. And then it was trying to deal with it by just, be, you know, making jokes all the time. And I got to the point where I was making jokes and I'd start laughing at my own jokes. <laughs> and then I'd start crying while, you know, at, while I was laughing. I was like, the emotion just wanted to come out so badly. And, and then, you know, by working really hard, by being a workaholic, we find all these ways that we 
try to avoid grieving. But really, if you actually just let yourself grieve, it's not that bad. It's really painful for like 10 minutes. And then you can start, then you're like, okay, well, that's complete for that day. And you actually find a way through the tunnel of it. The other thing that I was, the gift I was given by Avatore Bueno was the concept of 30 seconds of grief. So just letting yourself grieve for 30 seconds, just bringing your attention to the place in the body that feels grief and letting yourself feel it. And then you're done for the day, you know, but you've at least, you've at least, what's the word I'm looking for? Like digested some of the grief that has to be worked through. Otherwise it's going to be there. You know, there's no escape. It's going to be there and that shows up in all sorts of ways. It can be like a pain in your neck, literally feeling your eyes having water behind your eyelids, right? That need to come. Just a heavy heart. There's all sorts of ways and you can live with that for years. It is super painful. And one uh, one of our guests we interviewed, the author, uh, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, she describes in her book that the the crying cycle naturally ends but as Americans we don't allow that to happen so we'll write we'll start the crying cycle and then we'll stop it and we'll pull our tears back and go I gotta go distract myself I gotta go do something but our bodies know how to ride the wave and eventually tears run out and you feel fine right but it's so unsafe to ride that wave that we actually never get to the end and so everyone is trying to avoid this cycle that and nobody's experienced that it just naturally closes for you and you get to feel lighter and move on. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yes. I love that there's a natural cycle for it. Marianne Williamson talks about how there's no sense in crying like 32 tears if you have 71. You know, you have to actually cry all of the tears yes. that you have. And then you're done. Because if you have 71 tears, that's how many tears you have. And when you've cried them, you're complete. But I think that the myth that it's never going to end and the feeling, I remember that abyss of darkness I felt in front of me before I began the grief process. And then the actual grief process really didn't take, it was like a little bit of crying, a little bit of conscious crying every day for about six months. And then it was done. And that's years avoiding that. Yeah. And that probably sounds really scary. Like six months, I have to walk into this for six months. And it's not six months of crying. It's six yeah. months of intentionally allowing yourself to f- express your body and move through. Clients all the time ask, like, I don't know if I've like grieved that properly. What are you talking about? And the way I describe it is if you can look back at the story you're remembering and tell it without like having yourself burst into tears, needing to stop, avoid it, or not look at pictures of somebody. If like if that's all showing up. Yeah. You haven't processed your grief, but if you can look back and say, you know, I didn't have a really great relationship with my dad. He passed away. I really miss him and wish I could do something differently. It's just a bummer. Yes, you might still be sad. You can't get that back, but that you can state that story safely and move through it. That's the process of that's what grief looking like grief healed. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm being yeah. No, that's so good. That's so good. Well, first of all, I just want to echo what you said. It's not six months of I'm sitting, you know. Like, and I'm lying in down in the darkest bed. hole in the bottom well that no. I can't, yeah, that's not it's actually happening. more energy is released during, during that time. It's like, once you start, you're like, oh, thank God. I'm finally starting to do this thing. I know I've been, you know, we know when we're avoiding bodies are telling us that we need to do it. You, everyone knows whoever's listening to this, who hasn't processed it. You feel it right now. We all know it. It's yes. there. Yeah. And, and also like, I, feel, I like, feel like I just like orgasmic grief. Is that a thing? Like, honestly, <laughs> You start to feel this like energy flowing through you that's been clogged up and like stopped up by the resistance of how you're feeling. So I think you make a great point. It's not six months of of horror. It's six months of being really present, allowing yourself to feel and and starting to let some new energy flow through. You're going to go through new experiences and it, you'll come to a resolution of the grief. And then I love your point also about if you're avoiding stuff, if you can't look at photos, if you, you know, have had to like wall off certain parts of your life, that's a good sign that the grief is not complete yet. And that's okay. But whenever you're ready, it's there for you to begin. 
And then you'll be able to look at pictures, recall memories without fear or like, yeah, avoidance, all this anxiety about like, if I touch that, I'll, I'll burst, right? Like all that will go away. That's when, you know, grief has gone processed through you is that you can look backwards and talk about any part of it. And it is just safe to do so. And it's just a reality of your life. Sadness isn't grief you might still be sad this experience happened to you but that's not grief it's just like yeah it really sucks that I had to experience that and it's just my truth and that's what it looks like yeah yeah I work with clients all the time and like it's a similar it's the same thing and I think largely because so much trauma also is wrapped up with grief you know so much trauma I think is wrapped up in the grief of the way someone didn't support us or what we didn't have and should have had and you know, with trauma work or grief work, it's really this like this unblocking, right? You're describing like there's a block, we're blocking it off to try to keep ourselves safe, but then it starts to create more and more and more problems. And it seems like that really propelled you into your spiritual journey, which is really your whole career now. Like you are spiritual teacher. Mm-hmm. Can you, can, can we ask you more questions about like the work that you do now I mean such an incredible journey you can ask me anything nothing is off limits (laughs) so because we have it written down with an outline and we're going to so (laughs) yeah I mean well you know and again going back to I I actually worked directly with Cassie and in a point in my life where I felt like therapy wasn't quite working for me like I'd been in therapy for at least six months maybe nine months a year I don't know it was a while and I felt like it was working at first, but I felt stuck. Like I felt like there was some kind of almost like portal that I couldn't get through. You know, I couldn't get past my own grief and my own trauma. And I needed something different. Like, I guess I just felt it in my bones that like I needed something different. And I can't remember exactly how I found you. I think I read your book and yeah, and found you on Instagram and it was really only like maybe six sessions with you and my life just completely changed. Like, I don't remember how long it was. It wasn't a long, we didn't work together for super long, but my life completely changed. Like I needed something other than talk therapy. And it really was that spirituality piece, more of like a metaphysics type work that was transformational for me. And this is coming from someone who is a therapist, loves talk therapy, does believe in talk therapy. But I also recognize that there are limitations to it and that maybe there are more gifts out there in a more spiritual realm. And I know that's something we just wanted to kind of talk about. Yeah. And so a little detail to that. So like as therapists were educated that like, and this is just a cultural piece that like we as human beings have control over our thoughts and feelings. And if we change our thoughts, our feelings and our behaviors will change and we can control our life. And that as I get older, as I work with human beings in a, in a very intimate way, that's not always completely accurate. Now, if we're just talking about anxiety spirals, cool. I can kind of, we can, we can stop some thoughts and we can work on stuff. However, that there is more nuance. And I think this version of like humans control the space instead of that there is more there's something more mystical and magical and I don't know I don't I don't even want I don't this is how I talk about it in my own world that there's more layers to this than just I have full control over my life and that's a very American western way of thinking and I don't I think there's much more nuance to that and so it see when Emily and I were reviewing this she added yes that was my experience and Cassie I'm I'm assuming you have some thoughts on all of those moving parts Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, I love therapy and I feel that everyone should, it would benefit from having a therapist working through, you know, their past and really being with somebody, being accountable to somebody on a weekly basis like that, who really sees and knows them. I think it's really important. I am also trained very deeply in the 12 step model and in a course of miracles. The 12 step model is basically you start at step one, you go to step 12 and you have a spiritual awakening as the result of the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. It's also, so it's linear in that way, but it's also cyclical. 
and that you return every day. You go back through and you do those steps every day. Once you get the hang of it, it's like dancing with the, with life. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, the Course of Miracles is a has a daily workbook for 365 days. So you start at day one and you get you complete at day 365. And then if this if you feel so moved, you start back at day one and you apply and practice it to your life. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna see and feel different things depending on where you are in your life for either one of these methods. So because of that. I see spirituality as a very practical, like start here and you get results, like start here, go here and you voila, you get a cake. If you put the cake recipe together, mm-hmm. uh, therapy is a little different. It's a little bit more like yoga or like just something where you, you don't, you're in kind of more of a mysterious process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 12 steps are, were created for somebody who needs a spiritual awakening really quickly to recover from alcoholism. So there's no time to waste. We don't have time for three years in the desert. We've got like, you know, a couple of days, maybe weeks to help this person recover from alcoholism or they will die. The benefit of that to people who don't have alcoholism is that it just happens to work for anybody. And it's really amazing when that happens. So what I, what I did from those two methods and then from other methodologies that I have used and I tend toward I tend toward methodologies that are kind of like teacher or student like where you like learn here's like do this thing and you're going to get more or less this result now the result might not be a physical result it might not be like a million dollars in your bank account it might be that you will feel less attached to the outcome of this situation or you will feel, you know, it might not be that you're immediately going to feel peace of mind, but you might add peace of mind to the anxiety that you feel mm-hmm. so that you're able to, as the anxiety is happening, you're able to be a, an observer of it. You might feel forgiveness. You might feel the release of a, of a limiting belief. And because of those, I, that's, I really love those kinds of like spiritual methodologies that have a start and a finish, but also have a cyclical nature because I am somebody who wakes up in the morning with anxiety. I'm somebody who wakes up in the morning with, I want to control things. I'm addicted to outcomes. Mm -hmm. I want to make shit happen. And while that has served me in a lot of ways, I'm really good at manifesting. I'm also really good at figuring out how to use spiritual methodologies to achieve physical outcomes, like making more money, which I teach in my Maverick Women program or, you know, creating relationships and that sort of thing, creating forgiveness, transforming relationships. I really, I need the spiritual practice on a daily basis because of just the way that my mind works. And I happen to think that a lot, you know, my experience is a lot of us wake up in anxiety, you know, from talking to my clients and a lot of us wake up in um, fear or need to transform relationships. And that's just what works. So for me. And so when I, when I hit rock bottom around my abortion, I was having intrusive thoughts and it was these like types of methodologies that really served me. I was also in therapy, but I needed something faster. And, and then the therapy was useful because it brought up the things I could bring to, to the universe, to God, the goddess, whatever name you choose to call it bring through the work of looking at what's my fear. And then, you know, what I created out of this is called the practice. So it's a way to transform fear and anxiety, relationship friction and limiting beliefs. And so in therapy, I learned, oh, I've got this limiting belief or, oh, I have this particular anxiety. I didn't even know I was really afraid that this thing wasn't going to go well for me in my life. Or I'm really afraid of the responsibility of success, or I'm really afraid to give up that responsibility because I don't think anybody can handle it better than I can. You know, whatever, whatever my thoughts are that are going through my head, I get to discover those. And then I bring them through the process of the practice and they're, they're transformed. And as a result of doing my inner work, everything is, we live in a vibrational universe. So when I change, everything around me changes. Mm -hmm. The stuff that doesn't work either disappears or people change. They're Mm -hmm. either going to go away or they're going to change. I have like experiences with this over and over and over again. And when I get really 
clear on my desire. And I know I'm clear on a desire because I will literally feel like the wind blowing through my body. I'll be like, oh, I've had it twice in the past couple of months where one time I had it and it was like, oh my God, here's what I want. And immediately, as soon as I realized, oh my God, here's what I want. I had an email giving it to me. And then I had another experience of here's what I want. Again, an email was involved. It was not exactly what I, what I had hoped would happen or the way I imagined it would happen. But it was a situation where I wanted everything out in the open about a thing rather than it, I felt triangulated in a situation. I wanted everything to be out in the open. So, you know, the, and then it did come out in the open. It was disruptive and it was like a, it was like a bomb went off, but it did, you know, recreate the entire situation. So when I get really clear on my, myself and I get, you know, that inner work happens, then the mystery is, I don't know how it's going to change, but it's going to. Right. I just want to say like with the practice, because that was exactly what it was. That was what helped me so much, Cassie. Like it, the, so Cassie teaches meditation and was Harvard's first meditation advisor. So the practice incorporates a lot of meditative practices in with some like structured kind of thought changing, you know, writing activities and things. So your fear releasing exercise and the forgiveness exercise, like I just, I remember doing those like over and over and over again. And it involves, again, a writing activity then paired with a meditation, which really I think helps people to go deeper, right? To like sit with exactly what you're feeling and thinking and not run away from it. Not even, sometimes in talk therapy, we're just talking. We're not, sometimes people aren't feeling when they're sitting there in the room with you. They're just all like cerebral and in their head, right? This forces you to sit with the feeling and move through it. And that was so transformational for me. Yeah. Well, I think you make a great point where 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 I don't want to interrupt. I'm done. Yeah, go ahead. You make a great point because the practice has three parts and one is the writing. I ask questions for each, you know, you're there. Whoever's doing it is meant to answer these, these questions. So the fear has six questions. The relationship friction exercise has three questions and the belief exercise has four questions and you just sit and you answer these questions on paper with a pen and then you meditate and the meditation is meant to be a rehearsal of the emotions that come up it's meant to literally you're sitting with the with your emotions you're allowing yourself to feel them and you're training your nervous system to meet the emotions with compassion and with the God or higher power or holy, whatever name somebody wants to call it so that you're bringing this consciousness to it and this loving energy to whatever it is that you're, that you've been reacting to, whether it's you're reacting to a fear that you have, that you just don't think you could handle it if this thing happened or a, a, a resentment that you just haven't been able to work through. You're now imagining this person in front of you rather than trying to get them to change, rather than wishing that they would change. You're actually just fully embracing them exactly as they are. And you're imagining them in front of you being the way that they've been, that you just can't fucking stand. And that you're like, God, your life would be so much better if you just stopped doing that thing. And my life would be better too. You're letting them do it. You're like sitting in front of them, just like, okay. I give up. Like it's, you're not me. You're on your own journey. It's, it's, you know, it's actually totally self-absorbed for me to want you to change in this situation when you're on your own journey. I'm just going to like sit here and just like bask in your humanity and let you be who you are without changing or judging or anything and without thinking I know better. And that you're trained, you're like literally rehearsing. So later when you see them, rather than going to judgment they need to change. I need to say this thing. I better, rather than rehearsing the way you're going to tell them off, you're rehearsing, letting them be, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's a lot of people, I, I think there's been a lot of talk about like nervous system training recently. And, um, and I think that that's really important. And if you're doing this meditation the way that it's designed in my practice, then you're doing nervous system. You're, you are literally training your nervous system to be calm in the presence of your trigger. Absolutely. And just, I mean, 
let's go into just the slowness of this practice is training your nervous system to slow down. So the audience who's here is rushing women who are doing so much there. They have 80 things on their to-do list today, and they probably won't get done to it done, but they're going to attempt to do it all, including being like the most present moms and having the best meals on the table and all the other things, right? They're, they're going so fast that their nervous system. We haven't actually, we did talk about it in the first season about the nervous system and like what it's doing and the way in which we're creating like lack of safety that your body doesn't realize you're safe. So you're waking up in the middle of the night because you have to scan your environment because you they think there's a tiger around because you've, you're rushing too much. And like our culture is asking us to do this productivity and hustle is like the lifestyle. And this is who's listening. That is actually me. And we, before we started recording, I was, I was explaining that to you going, I have too much to do and I need to slow down. So like, these are our people and what the practice is, what you're talking about is even the activity of like, let's just make it a little simpler journaling and then reflecting on that. Like these women are, we're not doing that. I'm not doing that. My therapist said to me yesterday, Hey, after therapy, you should have an hour, if not two to slow down and take a walk and digest what we just talked about. And I laughed at her being like, you think I have, like, you think I have two hours to like, to digest this? I wish girl, like, I wish that was the case. And I will restructure my life so I can just fun fact, but like, that's what we're talking about. So yes, even just journaling and reflecting, and let's talk about it in meditation, like sense is training your nervous system that you are safe, that you are able to do that. And when we are rushing around or have the to-do list that we can't set down, we're telling our, our bodies, we are inherently unsafe and the environment around us isn't safe. Yes. Yeah. Well, there are several pieces to what you're saying that are really important. And one is like, if you're so inundated with your to-do list, then there essentially are tigers all around you when you wake up. And that's where delegation comes in. And most women feel ashamed to delegate. Many women who come to work with me and the Maverick Woman feel like they're failing if they hire a house cleaner, which is really about, you know, let's keep the flow of money going. You know, it's really not, let's not stop the flow of money for people who have businesses and, or afraid to hire an assistant or afraid, you know, if I do this, I'm going to look like a, you know, a a drama queen or a prima donna or whatever, or I'm not going to be like the woman that I want to be baking the apple pies and being the PTA mom and running my business and being the best, you know, like the best wife and like showing up in like lingerie, you know, you're yep. fucking exhausted. Let's, there are some things that you can delegate. So like, let's get some tigers out of the room, first of all. And I think that that's like really, really important. And then after you get the tigers out of the room, yeah, like training your body to to know that there actually aren't tigers there anymore, yeah. you know, and like training your, your mind to know. And I think that you like make a great point, like around journal, like writing something down for me, if it's free form journaling, I go into my ego gets a hold of that. So mm-hmm. I'll, I go into fear. I go in, like, I go into blaming others or I, or I do a big spiritual bypass and go and like, write myself like a weird little motivational speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, okay. Totally. I totally. Okay. That. So I, and so I, so for me, that's why the pointed questions work. Cause they lead me through a process of facing how I'm being dishonest with myself, mm-hmm. how I'm, you know, what's the worst case scenario? How am I going to walk through the worst case scenario with courage? Mm-hmm. What's the best case scenario? Am I resisting the best case scenario? And what new beliefs do I want to create for myself? what's my action plan, which might be delegate, rest, prioritize those two hours for yourself, you know, like the, those pieces. And then the meditation where I actually imagine myself doing this, like I'm walking through the worst case scenario with courage. I'm walking through the best case scenario and I'm not resisting it. Oh my God, I'm open to the best. And, and I see myself carrying out the action plan. Then I've got this muscle memory as I move through my day of, oh, there's that fear. Oh my God, but I've already practiced the worst. Like I've already gone through the worst case, the best case and an action plan. So that fear comes up and I've got all these other kind of muscle memory defenses against it. Yeah, absolutely. 
I, as you were saying that, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally relate to that journaling piece. And then I quietly went, why don't I do that anymore? And it's because Emily and our program at Columbia, as therapists, we had to journal and turn it in. And people, our our assistants would have to, they would write saying, you need to add more detail here. What? And they would ask follow-up questions for us to dig deeper and we'd be graded on it. And then we'd have to then answer those questions and we'd be graded on a second draft of our journaling. So- turning your journal yeah they would, oh my God. they would take our journals that we wrote and then give us criticism of how we weren't going deeper and that we were doing what you were saying which is like we our ego got in the way we'd do a positive spin or something and they would say no 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 this is the thing we need you to dive deeper in this is another thing and it would be we'd have to write a five-page journal every week and then they correct it and we'd have to do a revision on it so I forgot about that because I'm really skilled at being curious about myself now instead of ego but it but it was two years of that it was terrible that is so wild it was like Cassie like having that structure and then having someone who like holds you accountable to kind of be like the bullshit reader and say like hey I'm calling you out on your bullshit like I found for myself as someone whose ego can also get in the way and just like go into so many different directions and like self-sabotage that that was so helpful and that for me change the way that I approach my clinical practice. Like, I feel like I'm a much more involved therapist now than I was before as a direct result of that work. Cause it is really effective. So yeah, I don't know. I just, it's life-changing and just meditation in general, I think so life-changing. And we wanted to ask you like, obviously everyone has heard of meditation. Everyone knows why it's beneficial, but like, maybe we could have like the Harvard spiritual meditation (laughs) advisor tell us like, what are the benefits of meditation? How can people meditate and bring it into their life in an accessible way? Cause I know that's something that you champion a lot. Well, I'm just going to speak in total like layman terms. There are people who can speak to the science of meditation. There are articles that you can read about it. What I would say is it's really quite simple. First of all, that it allows you to connect with yourself first. We we live in a world where we are constantly being asked to abandon ourselves and to respond to other people. So for example, we wake up in the morning, we check our cell phones, we start answering text messages, we start answering emails. Where are you? Where are you? You know? And if we're not checking in with ourselves first and really just going inside, we're not going to have any clue about whether we actually have a yes or a no to what's being asked of us, to what should be prioritized. There's no sense of everything seems to have equal priority. If you start with your meditation in the morning, you're going to get really clear. You're going to start to recognize what what matters to you. If you focus on your breath when you're meditating, You're also going to notice that you are being distracted by maybe noises in the room. You are being distracted by an itch on your nose. And as you practice not reacting to those elements of life, when you get up off of your meditation cushion or the couch or the chair, wherever you're meditating, you're going to notice that you're less reactive to other people. So the same way that you practiced for one minute, not reacting to your itch or not reacting to the noise, not turning your head to the noise, you can now not react to, you know, your kid who's doing the exact same thing that they always do, or your spouse or your colleague who's doing the exact same thing. You're just like, oh, okay. That I don't, I don't need to go into a whole like resentment spiral right now. I don't need to spaz out over that. I can just kind of like, I'm, I'm back to my breath. So you get train yourself to come back to you rather than being reactive. Uh, so those are two really important parts. Then the other part is simply that you get more connected to the divine and the divine is going to, whatever that means for you, it doesn't have to be religious. It doesn't need to be from any organized form of religion. It can really just be your connection with something greater than yourself that is also deep within you and part of yourself. And when you listen to that, when you listen to that voice, we all have a a still small voice within, you're going to receive guidance. And when you meditate, you can actually slow down long enough to hear that guidance. 
It doesn't take long. Just one minute a day will give you enough of a connection with that guidance that you will start to hear, oh, do this instead of that. And I urge everyone to listen to that still small voice within because so often it's 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 a very efficient voice, first of all. Like if I listen to what that that voice within says, if it tells me to, you know, make this phone call and I'm like, well, I didn't plan on making that phone call until later today. If I do it, it turns out it was like the perfect time to have it. And we did it in three minutes, whereas later it might've taken, you know, an hour. It's just, it's your day is going to go better if you listen to that. And it's a, and it's an experiment with yourself. So think of it as experimentation. Think of it as, okay, I'm going to just experiment with, I'm going to listen. You know, the Course in Miracles has a prayer and it's, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? And you can just say that. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? Then listen. And whatever comes to you, try doing it. Just like a little thing and see what happens. And then practice that throughout the day. You can take one minute breaks. You know, anytime you go to the bathroom, say the prayer, then listen and see and and follow it and then see how your life changes. And I will say as someone who is an atheist, like I'm a self-identified atheist for sure, that this is true, right? This, <laughs> there is something that meditating does connect you to whatever you want to call it. You know, again, you don't have to have any kind of religious inclination to tap into something within yourself or outside of yourself that is just guiding you. And it, I found doing two minutes in the morning changed my whole day. I think that's part of why med- meditation mindfulness is probably like the are you familiar with like dialectical behavioral therapy, Cassie? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. So I was trained in that post-grad school. And I think that that's why it's the it's the foundation of all of DBT is mindfulness because you, you regulate your emotions when you're able to slow down and check in, right? You're not just coming from this reactive mm-hmm. pace and everything comes becomes a little bit more intentional, which is life-changing. Totally. Yeah. When they, when we're not just in pure reaction, we're going to have a much more peaceful, magical, miraculous life. I mean, it's really just that simple. Things will go better. We're going to enjoy ourselves more when we're not just reacting because a lot of stuff doesn't need to be reacted to. Mm-hmm. Like okay. most things don't even need our, don't need our reaction or input. Literally. I say to people all the time, all my clients, like when they're anxious about their phone or whatever, like there is no emergency that you need that that you couldn't respond to in an hour that like, if your husband in a car accident and they're in the ER, like if you were on the site, you still couldn't do anything, right? Like there's nothing you could physically do and finding out an hour later wouldn't have no effect. Like we need an ambulance there. Like we don't need you there technically right now. that might be really scary for listeners to hear, but there's literally no emergency. If your kid broke their arm on the playground, you could didn't do anything right if someone died they an hour later it would be the same news right like there's actually yeah. no emergency that you need to to be informed of right away the, and once people slow down and actually process that they go oh I think you're right but it's really uncomfortable to hear because we are so we're in a in a system now that we can get everything immediately and respond now and it's just not accurately last night I had to respond to you guys on the east coast at 8 30 p.m because I didn't get done with work until 5 30 on the west coast and I had to say I'm so sorry you guys are getting this message late yes I'm still available for today's recording but um I felt bad and also there was like there was nothing I could do except for respond when I was was available and everything worked out we're totally fine here but that that sense of urgency that our culture puts on us especially with cell phones and emails now makes everything pressured Yes. And I will just say, I relate to the level of anxiety that makes me think that I need to be looking at my phone every two seconds, like that just full bodied, like palm sweating all the time. Like just waiting for the bad news to come waiting for something horrible to happen. The disappointment, the, the, you know, tragedy. I, I relate to that so much. And, and just like, if you're, if somebody who's listening is there, just like one day at a time, drink the water. I mean, for me, it took a full transformation of like the food I was eating, the way I was showing up, the sitting in therapy, leave the phone out the door, practice it, you know? And I, and I really, I get that. 
I think it, it is a combination of like urgency and just like, you know, showing up with that level of full blown, like live anxiety. And I think that sometimes like when we have that level of anxiety, right, we're reacting, we're tuning in because we want to control, right? We want to control, yes. self, we want to control our anxiety. And what you really do, I think with your work, and I want to hear more about the Maverick women coaching program it seems like you're actually helping people build true power, not just control, mm-hmm. but by like making money and building the lives that they want. And I was wondering if you can talk more about, about that as a shift from this sort of superficial control. Yeah, that's a really interesting and, and great question. I think that a lot of times what we're doing is looking at our third dimensional life and just kind of pushing, pushing things around in our lives, trying to fix our feeling on the inside, like, well, maybe if I do this job, or maybe if I get this amount of money, you know, that sort of thing, maybe if I'm in this relationship, then I'll feel better. And the idea that the next thing, the next baby, the next whatever is going to make me feel good, or it's going to fix how I feel and fix my life is the delusion of the world that we live in. And what we do in the Maverick Woman and and what I had discovered for myself is that my power and my joy and my happiness come from who I am being. And when I become someone who is fully self-expressed emotionally, excuse me, emotionally, sexually, financially, professionally, with my friendships and my social life, when I'm living when I'm living the life that I want to live as the human being, the kind of human being that I want to be, that's when we start to see like a consistent vibrational output of like, I'm somebody who, who brings in a certain amount of money every month or every year or what, whatever feels good to you. I'm somebody who's in this kind of relationship who experiences this kind of treatment in my relationship, who enjoys these kinds of travels or this kind of lifestyle, you just start to attract that into your life. And it's like plugging into a power. You're plugging into something rather than looking at the TV and just trying to change the channel all the time by, by, you know, hitting it or something like that. Like that's not going to work. You actually have to plug in and connect fully and completely to something, you know, that you might never have connected to. And that's that morning meditation is the beginning of that process. And in the Maverick Woman, what we do is we start to, like we were talking about earlier, move some of the tigers out of the room so that when you're, you know, waking up, you're not, you're okay, well, that doesn't just, that just doesn't even need to be part of your life anymore. Or let's do this in a more empowered way. Or do you know you have a choice in the matter. A lot of times we don't even know we have a choice. So what if you actually own that you have a choice there? Women, we, we're afraid to own our choices sometimes, and we always have a choice. And what if I, what would it look like for you to make that choice without having an emotional hangover? Right. And like, what would it look like to say no to that or to hold that boundary with so much love or to make or to say yes to something that you really want to do? And we will, you know, without being plugged into this power and really transforming ourselves from the inside, we are basically going to recreate the same experience for ourselves over and over and over again, and then wonder why, why we did it, you know, and how, why does it keep fucking happening to us, you know? So, you know, if somebody, if anybody listening is interested in transforming their lives and really coming into their fullest expression and to live a life truly beyond your your wildest dreams. I mean, we have some really big adventures. It's like a sisterhood and we really, we go, we travel. We just went to Egypt. We're about to go to Sedona. It's a six month program. We meet twice a month on Zoom for two hour calls. I give people individualized coaching. We also have a WhatsApp group. So you can ask anything throughout throughout the week. You can also be in connection with each other. And I have a one-on-one version as well, where people can work with me one-on-one and people's lives truly transform. And that's because they show up ready, you know? So the question that people are like, well, when should I join? Or when is it time to, for me to start? Or when's it going to begin? When are you ready for your breakthrough? Like when do you, when do you want to transform your life? Yeah. 
Yep. And we talked about that before we started recording and I'm calling you because yeah. we're working too hard, right? The, the, the last part of like my story is I was really intentional about my life. I, I realized at some point that I was rushing, that I was checking all the boxes. What I talk about in, in a very similar thing of like, we need to get some of these tigers out of the room. What I find is that women have a timeline of checking boxes going, okay, I have to like finish college and then go to graduate school. And then I need to find a husband and I need to get married and then I need to have kids. And then I need that promotion in the, in the process. And it's like this timeline of, okay, I check, 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 check. And you wake up one day and go, wait a second, this isn't exactly what I wanted, or I don't feel as happy as I thought I should, like whatever's happening. And so I started realizing that early on and had checked a lot of, of those boxes myself and created something that was like really slow that I didn't start work until 2 p.m. I didn't check emails until 2. I started seeing clients at 3.30 and everything was much slower. And then mm-hmm. I had a kid and everything is kind of blown up and I'm back to my default functioning of like checking boxes, doing the things and surviving and self-aware, like knowing that this is where I could go because I'm really good at fun- high functioning and doing way too much. All of a sudden I woke up and went, this doesn't feel good and I don't like this. And so we're trying to like pe- backpedal now saying like, I still don't want to let go of anything but how can we make it more manageable and so like there's this like when your conditioning is so strong and you've been doing that longer than the practice you you will trip over yourself and I want listeners to hear that like you can't and if you're not being mindful or intentional and your first year postpartum you're not going to be you're just trying to survive right like you will go back to your default functioning and so it's not this like magical thing that just happens it's intention and a practice Amen. That is so true. And listen, like I have been there. I have a five-year-old. I remember when he was a year old, I was also like revving things up in my life. I felt really inspired after he was born. I don't know if you relate to that, but I just felt like on fire after he was born with my life. And, um, and then it's like, okay, how do I create this thing that I want to create? And you all are so amazing. Like both of you all are so incredible. I can't wait to talk to you on the phone more. And what you what you've created with this podcast, this space of just like truth telling, getting emotionally unfucked, it's what we need right now. And for anybody who's listening, who is a who is a mom or a woman who is just really wanting to you know transform and and is dealing with like a lot on the to do list, has like kind of recreated that to do list there I'm here for you, you know, and that Maverick woman is an amazing community of women who are doing that work too. So, and if, if anybody is interested, it's cassieunderwood.com forward slash the Maverick woman we're enrolling right now. Yeah. When does enrollment end before we go? What, to, when does it end? So that they know- you can enroll at any time. So it's when are you ready to have your breakthrough? You know, are you ready to stop being suffering right now you know are you ready to to light it up and to have the life beyond your wildest dreams if so let's fucking go do it i can't wait yeah i think it's time to have more cassie back in my life so (laughs) (laughs) or before we get off can we ask you one more question absolutely can we talk to you more about manifesting because you before you got on i hope that's okay that you recently just manifested um your egg donation and like this is just like something that you have really achieved the art of and i can we talk about manifesting it's such a hot topic right now but yeah really absolutely that. okay so first of all it's really like step by step it's i'm just going to give it to you like exactly how it is you want to get very clear on what it is that you desire. And you'll know that you're clear, not a head thing, not something that you're like, I should want this. And and be aware of the should want. And that's whether it's kind of like the cookie cutter life or even, you know, living like a wild feminist life, you know, like whatever it is, there's a should in any lifestyle, be aware of the shoulds. And with manifesting, you want to get really clear on your desire and you'll know in your body because it's going to feel really awesome in your body. All of a sudden you're going to be like, what would it feel like if I already had that thing? And you're going to be like, oh my God, that feels fucking great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then here's the tricky part. Your work is to become the person who can receive it. And sometimes as soon as you recognize that you want it, you're already in alignment. So with the egg freezing, I was already just so in alignment with that. And I, I think I planted the manifesting seeds for that a year prior when I had started looking at it. 
And I think it was kind of working its way through my consciousness. And then once I decided, yes, now it was like, bam, there was an email in my inbox saying, you know, do you want from a fertility clinic asking if I wanted to work with them on, on something. And so I like within months, I, my, my eggs are on ice now. So that was like November and it's February. My eggs were on ice by the end of last month. And then, you know, and another way of manifesting is you can also just buy something. So I could have just bought freezing my eggs, but it just so happened that I made the choice in that moment. It was very crystal clear. And then I also received the email. So one way that you can become the person, if you don't feel like you're like, if you feel like there's something blocking the manifestation, look at your fear of having it. Mm. So sometimes we, we really want to have, you know, you know, 15,000 followers, but we're actually really afraid of the responsibility of having 15,000 followers. Mm -hmm. So if that's you, then the, a better way to manifest is like, why not double your followers that you have now or, or like, you know, try to manifest a couple thousand more, whatever would still feel really good. You still want that feeling in your body, but something that's not going to trigger the fear quite so much. Or you can do fear exercise and really look at what's my fear. How am I being dishonest? Of course you can handle 15,000. If you can handle, you know, three, then you can handle 15. It's the same. It's just more people, you know, and the, if you, if it goes to shit, then you can just start over. You can always make an apology. If you make a mistake, I know there's a lot of fear around getting canceled and that sort of thing. Make an apology. Nobody can cancel you. It's dishonest to think that somebody can just straight up cancel you. Life is long. You know, there's lots of people who've been canceled and they're back. You know, Monica Lewinsky was basically canceled. She's here. Yeah. She's, here. she's better than ever. Pamela <laughs> Anderson, like these, these women are fucking awesome. So, and then like, what's the worst case scenario? How would you handle it with courage? What's the best case scenario? What new beliefs do you want to create? And what's your action plan? So starting to, and then as you start to work through the fear of actually receiving it, you're going to, you're going to be more open to it. And that's going to help you become the person who is available to receive it. But the other thing is, it's very simple. The universe wants you to have what you desire. So you don't have to, it's, it's not like complicated. If you want it, just be open to it and you get to have it. Like it's, it's yours. Yeah. What's the quote where it's like, your crown is already bought and paid for. You just have to wear it. Yeah. It's not that, it's like, if you could desire it, then it's meant for you. Yeah. Yeah. But before we started recording in this, it, I said, I've manifested a bunch of things in my life. And one of them was my husband. You said, oh, so cute. But at the time I have a journal entry that I read at my wedding. My husband had never seen before that I wrote all the things I didn't like about him. I said, oh my God, he's like, is so rude. Like he doesn't like listen when you're talking in person, but he's a really good texter. Like what is happening? Like he, at one point I was in the middle of New York city and we were hanging out and I was like, this guy's so cute. And he was like, I'm going to go meet a girl for a date. Bye. And like left. And I'm like, to this day, like if a friend did that, that would be the rudest thing that has ever happened. Like that is so rude. Nothing's been more rude. But the, after the second time of meeting him, I wrote in this journal, all the things that I thought I didn't like about him and then wrote, but even at the end of this list, the, the whole theme of the journal was, is it the only person I know in New York city? And I think he's like, and so I'm liking him or do I actually like him? So I wrote this list being like, these are all the negative things I don't like about him. Like, look, li listen to all these things. And at the end I wrote, even with this list. I still think he might be the person I'm going to marry one day. Um, what, made and you, then, what made you think that? I, it was in like, literally it was in my gut. There's no reason yeah. I had no, I, I had met him twice. I'd been talking to him and we met on Tinder. Fun fact. We, I'd been talking to him for a month and I was looking, the point was to make a friend and then meet his friends and make a bunch more friends because I was new to New York city. I had matched with him seven days in a meeting and moving to New York city. And like, we had met twice and I was like, why are you so in love with this guy? Like, calm down. You like stir crazy girl, like calm down. Like that was the point of the journal. And like, even after I wrote that sentence, I had four more pages of like, you're so crazy that you think you're going to marry this guy. That is so weird. But like, I don't know why, like there was, it was just a, even writing that that's just the sentence I wrote in a page and then went, oh my God, you're so fucking weird. Like, don't like, what is wrong with you? And that's the, the, the rest of the journal that I did not share in my wedding. But then like, but it wouldn't. and every time I saw that story, everyone goes, oh my God, that's so cute. And I was like, it's only cute because it worked out. It wouldn't have been cute 
if like I never talked to that guy again that would just be some guy in your history yeah that I like thought I might marry like that would be weird (laughs) but like that piece of like that little whisper I don't I don't think I let go of my fears I was very anxious for the next four months about him ditching me in the middle of the city and like did he like me or did he not like there was all sorts of things but there was a there was a, a I don't know there was wind in my body that was saying just like even with all the noise even the fact that he ditches you just like stick with this for a second just like be curious about this guy and it turned into something pretty magical I think I I genuinely love my marriage and think it's the best thing ever but like I you know there I don't even I the point I'm making here is like you don't even have to put in all the steps sometimes you also just need to quietly listen and not know what that means exactly yeah. Yeah. It's all about listening. It's all about knowing what you're, you know, like reading yourself on the inside. What are my fears? What are my, what's the voice inside of me saying? And for you, it was saying, even though he's doing all these things I don't like, I think I might marry him. Yeah. And then you know, it was eight years of self-advocacy and talking about all the ways I don't like that. You don't listen to me that now he's a different person a little bit. Aww. <laughs> so you all were together for eight years before getting married. We were together for four. We are now together for eight. We've been married. And so for so during that. that during that time, you were you were self you were self advocating. Yep. Mm-hmm. With him to him. Yep. Mm-hmm. So so he would do stuff you didn't like, and you you had to be like, no, like I'm gonna. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. I get that because it was like he was your perfect. You guys were each other's perfect teachers. Yeah. During that time, he taught okay. you. He would, you actually were perfect. He was the perfect manifestation for you to become the woman who would manifest the man who, that you wanted. I love that. And I think that's so true because the platform that I'm on now, like the Instagram platform that I'm on is like advocating for emotional labor, right? The amount that we're do that women take on and do. And like, it's, it's who he was at 24, right? When we met and who he is at 33 is a very different man. And that isn't an accident. That is me also realizing I'm not going to, I'm in, like, I would, when we moved in and I had to say, Hey, look at the way you didn't clean the bathroom. The mirror still has fingerprints. And he got mad. I'd say in five years, I'm not going to be correcting you on this. And I'm not going to be the one cleaning the bathroom. So let's figure this out. But that like, I didn't grow up and become that woman I didn't know that before this conversation and now I have a platform on it right so it is I mean wow that is a thing that's happening that you you, I don't know it 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 was a bigger path than just me and him that this is like a whole it's a vibration he he was like you were like I desire to be in this vibration and then you met him and he he forced you to become that vibration Hmm. it's awesome he didn't force it, but you decided. I would jokingly that. say that he, I, I lovingly say to him that he's a dum dum. Sometimes he doesn't love that, but that that little dum dum vibration allowed me to step <laughs> into my power. That's right. That's right. We need a, we need sometimes we need somebody to act like a little bit of a dum dum so we can so, so we can step into our power. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well. Cassie, this has been so, so wonderful. Thank you so much for meeting with us today and having this wonderful chat. Oh my gosh, it's so Thank great. you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure and so much fun to talk to you both. I think you're both just extraordinary women and I'm truly honored to be here. Oh Can't wait to see what you both do. You're, you know, you're flying to the moon as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Cassie, and you're going to help me do that. So I'll call you in a couple of days. It's going to be great. Yes, call me. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Can you tell our listeners one more time, like if they want to reach out to you, if they're interested in Maverick Women or working one-on-one or just following you, getting your book, where can they find you? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So my website is CassieUnderwood.com. That's K-A-S-S-I Underwood, like Carrie.com. And my, and on my website, you can find the Maverick woman. It's, it's under the work with me section. You can also find how to work with me one-on-one there. And you could also just go to CassieUnderwood.com forward slash the Maverick woman. Feel free to sign up for a consultation with me and we'll talk about what's possible for you. There's no pressure, but if you do decide to sign on, you are welcome anytime, whenever you are ready for your breakthrough. And in terms of social media, I'm at, at Cassie Underwood on Instagram. And I also have a podcast 
called Big Energy. We're about to drop a, a bunch of episodes about my egg freezing journey, but we have tons of episodes with all sorts of tools and interviews. The egg freezing journey, I'm also interviewing some cool people. So, so please check that out. And you can, on my website, back to my website, you can receive a free two-minute meditation or sorry, one minute med- morning practice by entering your information. So if you just want to get started with the practice, that's totally free. You can check it out now. Amazing. Cassie, thank you so much. And yeah, we will look forward to keeping in contact and you'll be seeing more of us, both of us soon. <laughs> Yay. I can't wait to talk to you both. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. This has been Emotionally Unfucked. Mm-hmm.